three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. Before last week's show discussing the essence of the meaning of the Christmas spirit, I'd been talking recently of human relationships, of how others fit into a life dedicated to the pursuit of one's highest potential in human flourishing, which is what we're all about here on Mr. Brightside. And given what I've said constitute healthy human relationships, and especially as we're in the midst of the Christmas season, one might wonder whether charity is proper within this framework. If only win-win is good, according to the view I've been laying out, then charity, which necessarily doesn't involve a win, is no good, right? I did say unequivocally that lose-win is immoral. Well, today I'd like to examine that question of how charity fits into a value-seeking as opposed to value-surrendering life. For one, I'm going to indicate today that charity might be and ought to be win-win in a sense, and I don't just mean that you do it because someone will do you a good turn later. But more, there's also this idea of commensalism to help me illustrate my idea of what good charity is, as it offers a perfect picture of what non-sacrificial charity can and ought to look like. This idea of commensalism, I mean, uh, once more from that children's English textbook and one of its science uh, section units, interactions among living things that I've been milking for some weeks now. Uh, if you're a regular uh, listener, you'll know that I was reading this text with a young Korean student in my private English uh, lesson in my home a few weeks ago, and it was some seemingly innocuous definitions of various symbiotic relationships among organisms in nature. The text laid out mutualism, commensalism and parasitism that to me revealed various parallels in human relationships. And I declare to you all that this is the last I'm squeezing out of the thing. But here's what, it's not really that I'm wringing it dry and thin. There's just really so much in there. You see, I'd originally planned to make one show of it, but as I went along first contrasting mutualism and uh, parasitism, I began to see that the idea of commensalism was rich with parallels in its own right. And then even then I was still going to outline it all in one go, but I later thought it better for listeners to digest those ideas uh, distinctly. So you got the part two a couple weeks ago. Uh, But then as I went along with the commensalism track for part two, it became clear that within that, there were two big ideas represented beautifully, and that these two were distinct enough to warrant separation as well. With that, then let us call this Moral Lessons from a Children's Science Textbook, Part 3, if you will. And let me emphasize that this is the final installment, I swear. Um, Although, you know, guys, I can really never get tired of talking about harmonious human relationships. It's a beautiful thing. And another beautiful thing is constructive conversation, which is what I'd really like to have with people. For now, it's very one-sided with me kind of talking into space. Um, although I do see the numbers of people viewing on YouTube and listening on various podcast audio media each week, and I very much appreciate you. Um, it's true that I'm putting these ideas into words and out into reality for myself to review, to reformulate, and to use in my life. But it's also true that I wouldn't do it if they were to absolutely no one. Uh, you know, I might do some journal notes or something, but not fleshing them out into full podcasts or self-contained articles, and certainly not weekly like this. So I always thank you for listening. But it would be an even more fruitful exercise if I got some feedback on top. This way I could better clarify the ideas for myself and for listeners. You undoubtedly have questions that haven't occurred to me or that I haven't otherwise addressed. Um, I have received some questions on other shows, and I thank you, uh, those who have and do sometimes. 
but please, everybody, don't be shy to ask any question or challenge anything on here on this or any episode. Uh, you may do this in the comments section where you're listening now, or you may go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. Uh, of course, sharing is also a beautiful thing. If you think this podcast might be valuable to anyone else, and maybe even better, if you like a specific episode and you think someone else you know would like it, please share it with that person. You never know who will take a message the right way and how it might help them. You know, it's the season for giving, so give them something that will cost you almost nothing. And hey, that sounds a lot like the kind of giving I'm talking about today. So let's get on with it. So first, a quick review on symbiosis as we're using this concept to reflect human relationships. Remember that while mutualism involves organisms benefiting from their relationship, that is win-win, and parasitism involves one organism benefiting at the expense, sometimes to the absolute destruction of the other, that is win-lose, commensalism was a relationship in which one organism benefits and the other organism is neither harmed nor helped. And I called this a kind of win-neutral last time. And the text uh, gives us the example of a shark and a remora. If you remember, the remora attaches itself to the shark, feeding off the scraps of the shark's latest meal, and the shark is indifferent to this. So note today that it's quite distinct from parasitism, where the organism doesn't feed off the scraps or excess, but feeds into the resources that the shark actually needs, draining its lifeblood in part or as eventually with some parasites in whole. Here again, guys, and this is the key, in commensalism, it feeds off of excess, that which the shark or other organism is indifferent to and won't notice either way. Now, first, in our discussion on charity, I won't include gifts to loved ones in this. While you may say that a gift is something you give without getting anything in return, there is an exchange of spiritual values. This, then, is more an example of mutualism or win-win trade. Now, I covered some of this idea in the first installment, Nothing Lost in Human Relationships. And you can also find an even fuller discussion of it in a slightly older episode, Love is Not Selfless. But as to regular charity to a stranger or general neighbor, I want to highlight the issue of sacrificial versus non-sacrificial charity. In my view, sacrificial charity is immoral and you shouldn't do it. I'm serious about the evil of lose-win in human relationships. I'm not having it. And my aim here today is to arm listeners against an unfounded sense of duty and guilt that motivates such pointless self-immolation, mainly, of course, by offering a positive alternative. I think many people engage in charity because they think they're supposed to, as if some kind of moral duty, although I do think it's often mixed with what I would characterize as a sincere and legitimate sense of sympathy for the beneficiary. But a great part of the motivation is to assuage some kind of guilt they've accepted for not giving enough, as it's always left unclear. Uh, to the advocates of sacrifice, how much is enough? And I tell you something, it's always more. But with this kind of charity, while the guilt is lifted for a short time, we're often left feeling empty. And I wonder why, if I've done what is good, do I feel so unfulfilled? And rather than go into depth trying to answer that question today, and there's lots that's fascinating in that question, let's instead highlight and stay focused on a positive image of what a proper and benevolent and non-sacrificial concept of charity might look like. And then by contrast and implication, we might begin to understand and reject that guilt-driven cycle of virtue signaling, emptiness, and resentment among people that I regret is not uncommon. Good charity, in my view, is characterized by a few things. I don't think this is an exhaustive list I'm going to give you here, but it's a good lead to what I mean. And I'll describe each thing in turn with just a brief indication of what they all entail. So for one, it's proper to engage in charity in an emergency. 
because it's a tremendous value for me to live in a society, I care about the well-being of its members. I've said in a recent show that uh, life is not a zero-sum game, and to the extent others are rich, I'm richer. And it's no good for me if my neighbors all suffer. So I think about 9-11 as an example. I think about uh, an end with an E, that Netflix show based on the end of Green Gables uh, books. Uh, there's an episode where there's a, one neighbor has a fire in their house and the whole community rushes to help out with the fire. This is completely proper. Like in, in such cases, it's not that I ought to say, well, this doesn't add to my life and I have better things to do with my time. And, you know, I, I have to pursue my own values. So screw this, right? That's not what I mean when I'm saying this stuff. Values rationally defined are hierarchical and long range. And to win, quote unquote, in an interaction does not mean to snatch at everything one wants moment to moment throughout one's life. With this approach, one would get nowhere and achieve nothing. So in any singular instance, someone else's immediate interests or needs might be more important than my own. So it's totally proper to give up some of my time and resources to help in an emergency. Commensurate, of course, to the gravity of the situation, among other factors. But that's a big discussion beyond the scope of today's show. But this leads to the next point, which is that good charity is temporary. An emergency by its nature is temporary. And after having helped a person through some ordeal or back on his feet, as it were, it is not proper to then make myself responsible for their well-being afterward, seeing that they have a good job or sufficient food, etc. Other people are not my charge. Their life is not mine to live. My moral responsibility is to live my own life, as is theirs. Now, unfortunately, many do-gooders have a pessimistically hapless view of their fellow human beings, and they think them incapable of dealing with their own life without the help of their wiser, stronger benefactors. But the optimistic alternative looks something like, you know, this is a strong person who happens to be in a hole. With only a little help from me, I can help them out. Then I'm on my way. Good luck. And now there's the question of who I ought to be charitable toward. Good charity, in my view, is about promoting the good, the virtuous. It's about helping someone up, either from a fall that was not of their own doing, that's like the emergency we discussed, or just some bad luck or hard times, for instance, or just giving a leg up through an arduous and unnecessary step, like a scholarship to speed the progress of a struggling but promising student, for instance. It's not about pandering to vice, ignoring the good while attempting to make a virtue out of vice. I want to give to those who are deserving. Good charity is about helping people get back on their feet so that they may more quickly get back to helping themselves and promoting their own lives. It's not about apologizing for and enabling evil, those who cause harm. I don't want to support a child beating drunk. I want to support children. In a benevolent view, I I think that children are innocent. I think that they are virtuous potential. Um, I want to support those who are good and by no fault of their own are in a tough place. So, for example, through illness or an accident, etc., Today, a big problem is that we're not clear on this, and we just think of unconditional and undiscriminating charity as virtuous. In fact, sometimes we're even encouraged to take extra moral pride in helping the sinful as opposed to the virtuous. And I think it's vicious to support and promote vice. And I think we ought to distinguish between earned and unearned suffering when considering who we choose to be charitable toward. If you're about justice, and I am, justice means getting what you've earned and deserve. And some people deserve to be miserable. And we betray the good when we are charitable to evil. Now, underlying all of this stuff, a big key in the theme today is that good charity is non-sacrificial. One gives of excess, not cutting into one's livestock. And what constitutes cutting into it or being too much, uh, only each of us may determine for ourselves. This is why I'm able to engage in much more charity today than when I was younger, for example. It's because I have more. 
my wife and I, for instance, support street cats around here and some animal shelters in Korea, also supporting groups which support them uh, without going into a lot of detail about it. It's at times actual legwork and it's often financial, but whenever we start to feel that it's a duty, we check ourselves and we roll it back. My wife was just questioning her commitment to some of this last night at dinner, in fact, um, as she felt kind of overburdened sometimes with the rude presumption of some of the shelter people she deals with and the stuff they expect and demand of her. Our charity is done only out of our excess time or money, that which we are mostly indifferent to, which we wouldn't have missed either way, or at least couldn't have enjoyed spending on anything else. Uh, my time given to students beyond my duties as a teacher is a charity which I only afford to those who are sincere. So if some uh, student asks to meet me and they want to ask me a question about something or they want me to proofread an important document or something like that, I'll do it if it's a good student and if someone I think um, is sincere. And it's only given on time that I hadn't truly blocked and wouldn't miss either way. So I'll go a little out of my way for good people, but only when that path was not already leading me somewhere critical to achieving my own highest values. In such cases, even though I could have watched a show or done something else, I don't resent it. Uh, it's pleasant and I enjoy the experience of helping in that way. Other examples are athletes and famous people doing concerts or selling autograph to t-shirts and going to hospitals, etc. I approve greatly of all of this. Like the remora and the shark, it is not much for them, but it's lots for others. And this is a beautifully benevolent thing. But I don't think young people with nothing should engage in much charity while they're struggling to make their way in the world, for instance. And this is the big distinction that I'm making today. Another big underlying note on charity is that it ought to make the world a better place. This was indicated in the idea of promoting virtue over vice, but I mean even more personally that we ought to make the world a better place according to our own values. I mean to make my world a better place, the kind of world that I want to live in. We all ought to be focused on shaping ourselves and our worlds in the image of our values. The former is what we talk about all the time on the show, optimizing our own health, character, happiness, etc. But the latter includes directing our resources towards supporting and promoting things which make a better society for us to live in. An example is the street cats and dogs I mentioned just a minute ago. Pro athletes helping kids who are sick or raising money for those who want to play a sport but can't because they can't afford it. These things may be said to be done without getting anything in return, quote unquote. But in this sense, they may be called wins as we're promoting the things we love and care about. It's not just, well, this is excess time and money, so it's not a sacrifice. It's not only that. You know, surely my wife and I could have spent that money and time on something we want, but there's nothing more pressing that would give us more pleasure than to see the little neighborhood cats eating the food uh, that we give them or seeing the kids outside through the window playing with them um, when we, you know, when we see them, uh, you, you know, using the little house that we created for them. It's all gives us a lot of pleasure for the athletes that I mentioned. They're promoting the game they love, seeing kids enjoy it as they did when they were kids. Uh, imagine like a pro hockey player in the offseason, right? They're on holiday. You know, go see some fans. Start a hockey school. I mean, it's not like you're giving up like during the season, you know, giving up all your time so that you can't perform and enjoy your the work you love and the game you love. It's things that are extra and it's promoting a world that you love and a game you love. So I don't find any of that sacrificial and it's the kind of thing uh, that we're talking about. Knowing that we're helping to encourage and realize the kind of world we want to live in is the source of that glowing, warm feeling of giving at Christmas, of course, and anytime. So let's check this idea of blind, unconditional, undiscriminating, and sacrificial charity. 
which can only serve to destroy values in my view. And let us instead embrace, adopt, and advocate for a more benevolent view of charity that advances virtue without feeding into one's lifeblood and draining us. Engaging in charity ought to make us fuller, not empty. There's a final key point now to note about charity that's not really part of describing what it looks like, which is that it is not where our virtue comes from. And this is one of the big mistakes we make. Imagine the implications of this for one moment. If we need suffering to be virtuous, then is the elimination of suffering a good goal? With this view, one wants to see suffering, needs it, else how would one be virtuous? I don't see anything benevolent in that. And this speaks back to good charity being temporary. Instead of allow me to lend a hand and I'm on my way, it's hanging around forever trying to make the person my dependent that I might be even more virtuous. And it's this idea that charity is what virtue is all about that makes the bait and switch possible. Now, there's nothing wrong with charity, but it's a marginal issue, not the essence of virtue. But there is something wrong with sacrificing oneself out of a sense of duty or unearned guilt. And the bait and switch, I mean, is that by making such a grand virtue out of charity, to the extent we accept it as a moral duty, people may then demand ever more sacrifice out of you. There's no virtue in martyrdom. There is virtue in adding to the world. And we add to the world not through lose-wins, which are net zero, but through win-wins, which are net gains. And through giving of our excess. This is what benevolent, non-sacrificial charity can and ought to look like, in my view. And there's much more to say on it, and I know there are endless examples and discussion to be had, but I have to cut it off somewhere. Remember that this is just an indication of my view. So before I uh, give a final word, let me ask you once again to please help me make more clarity out of this issue by asking questions and or making comments. You can do this in the comment section where you're listening now, or you can go to the Mr. Brightside Facebook page, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. And again, give the gift of food for thought to anyone you think might enjoy or otherwise get any value out of the show. And I thank you all for that. Now, for my final word, I'd like to offer a separate but well-connected note to our theme today about the abundance mindset and generosity. The abundance mindset is a well-known concept whose antithesis is the scarcity mindset. And relating such a view of abundance to generosity, let me declare that misers are not charitable. Misers being people who, whether rich or poor, feel scarcity. I was reminded of this point in watching A Christmas Carol recently, and then only last night watching The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is a delightful movie telling the story of Charles Dickens' struggle to devise, write, and publish that famous novel. And observe that the infamous Scrooge is the archetypical miser, and that he's the least charitable man one might imagine. And observe then that I think it's the ghost of Christmas present who, uh, in a scene where they're looking over the Cratchits uh, at their dinner table, he says that they felt abundance, kindness, and generosity. And everybody knows that they had relatively little. Um, now, when he said that line in the movie, I was sitting next to my wife, of course, on the couch, and I leaned over watching a movie, so I couldn't make a big point of it. But I just said quickly, oh, my God abundance, kindness, and generosity. Those are so obviously connected. But I just got right back to it. Just wanted to make the point and then get back to watching the movie. I just mentioned in the Christmas episode last week that people who are happy and love their lives wish well for others, empathize with others, and want to help with honest struggle. But people who are miserable resent happiness and any success, and they're actually unsympathetic to others' misery. Now, they claim to be, but when it comes to any real action, they're the skimping kind. It's only ever lip service to garner sympathy for themselves and to rationalize self-pity. Pay attention to this when you watch A Christmas Carol this season, or I highly recommend The Man Who Invented Christmas, and see that it is those who feel abundance in the world who are most generous and charitable. And with this understanding, we can see that there's no contradiction in pursuing one's own life without thinking of others first. 
we need not feel guilty for that. Instead, creating and celebrating abundance in our own lives is what makes us feel a benevolent sense of brotherhood with all. And it is that which is the source of the empathy that drives us to want to be charitable to those who are good, but who are in temporary need. This Christmas, be kind, be generous, be happy, be full. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side.